0: You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 15th of February 2020 on Monocle24. It's Saturday, the 15th of February, and this is Monocle's House View. Today, German politics is in a state of indecision after the resignation of Angela Merkel's presumed replacement. How worried is the rest of Europe? Plus, a new fleet of sleeper trains gets set to whisk passengers from Vienna to Brussels. We'll consider whether we might be en route to the future by way of rail. All that and the day's newspapers, too. Monocle's House View starts now. And a very good morning to you from Midori House in London. I'm Georgina Godwin. I'm joined today by two of our favourite early birds, Vincent McAvenny from, uh, well, from all sorts of places, really. I'm <laughs> yeah, not even freelancer. quite sure where to, <laughs> where to say you're from. A general news body around, yeah. and you'll be seeing a lot more of him around, I think. Uh, and Elizabeth Braw, who, re- who leads the Modern Deterrence Programme at Rusi. Thank you, for both of you to both of you for coming in. Um, so let's start. Well, first of all, neither of you are wearing masks. I mean, I, I recognize that it's difficult to talk into a microphone with the mask on, but are you tempted, Elizabeth?
1: I, I would be tempted, but I don't think there are any more to be had. There's a global uh, face mask shortage. So, <laughs> if if you'd like to visit in a company, I think that might be a, a good uh, choice. Well, also, I...
2: my understanding is unless it's a full mask with the regulator, it's not effective. If it's just yeah. a piece of material, you know, I think you're better using hand sanitizer and not touching uh, rails on the London that's tube, is the they general say.
0: advice. Yeah. yeah. I've actually got a couple of masks in my bag because I saw this coming and bought some. So, I'm one of those people that's <laughs> responsible for the global shortage. I uh, but quite seriously,
1: are you worried? I think um, there is a risk, as we saw also with the Ebola uh, outbreak a few years ago, that uh, that we overreact. And we have to put this in perspective, uh, compare it to, for example, how many people die of the common flu every year. Mm. But it is frightening, simply because we know so little about this virus. Uh, we knew so little about it until a few weeks ago. Now we are learning more. Yeah. and And so um hysteria spreads easily because bad news travels faster than good news and and so and most of us are not um, uh, are not medical doctors or indeed uh, virus experts so it's it's easy to, to get carried away by uh, by the the prospect of, of uh, being infected or the fear of being infected Uh but, of course, it, it is a real outbreak. And I think what we should be concerned about are the, the people who are already infected in China. And also, uh, this may sound uh, very cruel, but we should be concerned about the, the effect on on the global economy uh, because uh, it is being disrupted. And while that may seem very cruel to say, actually, if the global economy suffers, we will suffer uh, by extension.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, all sorts of things like supply chains, Vinnie, are, are crumbling.
1: Yeah,
2: massively, especially in uh, tech and fashion. Those are the two areas being hit. So Burberry posted warnings earlier this month. It had to shut down dozens of stores in China, which is one of its main markets. It's a company that's been struggling in recent years. Uh, And so luxury goods, and this week it's London Fashion Week. They've had to take precautions like deep cleaning the venues. Some uh, people have cancelled their shows. There's talk about, uh, you know, the Olympics. The IOC had to confirm that the Tokyo Olympics would definitely be going ahead. But we are seeing both Formula One and E1, the electric version, Events being cancelled. So, this could have a disruption just to the normal kind of way things work this year, but also these supply chains. And we won't know until a couple of months down the line. But, you know, talk about companies like Apple struggling as well because if they're trying to launch new products, a HomePod 2, new iPhones, as always, then if they can't get their plants in China manufacturing, then that could cause problems. And I think just that, you know, you don't want to cause panic, but I think we're seeing. The, the, the one thing that does alarm me most about this is still in China the suppression of the facts. We're seeing citizen journalists in Wuhan being detained. There's reports of that this morning in the papers. And there are reports that the figures that are coming out are just not correct. And that is the problem. Because if we can't trust what China is saying about the numbers infected, and the numbers dying, then we don't know the rate of spread. You can't accurately forecast this. And inside the country itself, there are varying figures. uh, And you just don't know who to trust. And it's one of these things where you need China to be a lot more transparent. They're trying to do both reputation management on how they're handling the crisis and trying to protect their economy. But those true figures need to be made public.
0: Absolutely. Shall we turn to Germany now and have a look at the resignation of Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer? She resigned on Monday. It was a shock to Germany's political system, but it also sent ripples across the European Union. AKK, as she's known, she's been seen as the next steady hand at the wheel as Angela Merkel prepares to depart her post. But now, of course, Berlin's top job is once again taking applications. Um, But, Elizabeth, uh, we say it was a shock, but it had kind of been... Been on the cards for a while. Why did AKK have to go?
1: Well, it's very difficult to, to share a job, which is really what she did. So she was not uh, the leader of, of the government. She was the leader of the uh, the largest party in the government, but she was not in charge of the government. So it was hard for her to to really. Um, make a a profile for herself and actually she was quite good Then, when she became defence minister in addition to being uh, leader of the the Christian uh, Democrats or the CDU um, uh, which is the the largest part of the Christian Democrats. Um, So she was very good as as defence minister but if you are not head of the government you can't really set the tone for for your party. And then uh, the, the problem also is that she... She comes from a, a small state in in the western part of the country where she was uh, prime minister for for a number of years and and she is she was very good at that but she's just not a, a somebody who has a, a Germany wide following and so when she then tried to to make the the Christian Democrats in in the state of Thuringia follow uh, or do as she suggested which was to um, uh, uh, well, make sure this this uh, not to cooperate with the AFD, which is really what it is about. They essentially wouldn't uh, pay her any attention. So, uh, if if you are powerless to, <laughs> to tell uh, your own constituents uh, or the your own your own party what to do, then you're not a very effective leader. Yeah. So who might be an effective leader? Who would take over from her, do you think? Well, so I I, I speak with, with uh, some uh, experience of the CDU. So um, uh, I actually used to live in the state of Thuringia. And not only did I used to live in the state of Thuringia, I was a member of the CDU in the state of Thuringia. So... Um, uh, the different parts of the CDU are, are very different in, in different parts of the country. In in, in the eastern part, they, they tend to be more conservative. Then you have the sort of very market liberal um, uh, parts of the party in, in different Western parts. And so that's what we are seeing now with the three candidates who are who are running for the job. And two of them ran last time around as well. So we've got one who is very much a, a market liberal. Uh, that's uh, Matz, Friedrich Merz. Um, I doubt that he would be very popular uh, in the East. Then we've got the, the prime minister of North and Westphalia, who's very much a, a pragmatist, but, but still a West German. And then we've got the... The young Turk uh, Jens Spahn, who is currently health uh, secretary, he is um, very much a market liberal as well in, in more in the more conservative mm. mold but it's they are not uniters. I think matz has the best chances of of winning, but would uh, would he bring in the the whole range of opinions in the party i don't think mm. so
0: vinnie i wonder how this is going to affect the rest of europe now with with this kind of instability at the top of germany i mean for instance does it give emmanuel macron uh, the chance that he's really been looking for to establish himself as 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 the supreme european leader
2: Yeah, I think it does because anyone in Germany following Merkel is a hard act to follow. She has been in place for so long, Uh, and you know, uh, having the front runner who had started to kind of build up a reputation, international interest, going is is very difficult for anyone else to step in. But for Macron, yeah, this is the role that he's been, you know, waiting for. It's something that he's been sort of somewhat groomed for by Angela Merkel for the past couple of years as well, during what she knew would be a tricky transition. And you know, for him to try to step up now, uh, it is tricky because you know around the world you're seeing kind of in in russia in china in the us very kind of authoritarian styles of global leadership it's all about one man it's all about them kind of stepping onto the world stage trying to direct the flow and and for europe you know 27 nations trying to work in coordination while still dealing with brexit for Macron, you know, he really needs to step up to this because, you know, he's thinking hard about his own re-election chances in France. He can't take the eye off the ball there, but he also needs to try and steer Europe through this.
1: Yeah. Elizabeth? There is another aspect we should consider, which is that actually um, the era of the what's called the Volkspartei, and in Germany, so the People's Party, so the, the Christian Democrats and, and the Social Democrats, seems to be um approaching and so the Social Democrats are already very weak and the Christian Democrats are declining as well and uh that's happening while the greens are, are uh, gaining strength and it's uh conceivable even if it's even though it's not Highly likely, but it is conceivable that the next government will be led by a Green chancellor, and that would be uh, somebody called uh, Robert Habeck, who is the co-leader of the Greens, and he is a, a, an extremely innovative thinker. and uh, Macron will see himself in great competition for for yeah leader of Europe if if Habek becomes Mm. Chancellor of Germany.
0: Now, of course, if we have a green leader there, one thing we can be sure of is that there'll be an increase in train travel. Uh, And that's what I'd like to look at next. So, Britain's HS2 rail project is officially back on after years of stops and starts and some eye-watering overspends. Meanwhile, Austria has ordered a sleek new fleet of sleeper trains ready to whisk passengers from Vienna to Brussels in comfort and speed. And this mini golden age of rail transport is certainly good news for those of us who travel regularly between European cities. But uh, I mean, I think it's probably long overdue. One thing that's certainly overdue is HS2. It looks like it might be back on track, but with many problems, Vinny.
2: Yeah, huge problems. I mean, this project has gone billions of overspending. Uh, It is a logistical nightmare, you know, you're having to build through central London you're having to rebuild Euston Station whilst keeping it operating for the rest of its services you're having to go through Camden uh, and parts of North London that are not only high density but highly affluent and have been mounting significant challenges to this build and then you get out into the country, environmental campaigners unhappy about destruction of ancient woodland and though train is greener travel and, you know, Green Party policies advocate for train travel there has been huge environmental backlash to this project. It's going through historical sites, it's going through homes, uh, and it has been you know, heavily delayed. And also the route eventually, originally forecast at a much lower cost was meant to go all the way to Scotland, it was meant to go out to Liverpool, Manchester, meant to go up to Leeds. It's now being done in a phased way. Phasing government projects means you can cancel parts of them when it's no longer politically expedient, when it runs into problems. So, you know, there has been a long argument that it should start at opposite ends and meet in the middle if you're serious about building this new spinal railway for the UK. But what they're going to do is just build the first phase to Birmingham uh, to try and reduce that. But, I mean, this project is so messy because it might not even run at high speed now. The government changed arguments last year saying it's about capacity, not speed it's such a white elephant but for boris johnson this you know he knows he's got about 10 years at least in power setting this big infrastructure project which will be the biggest in europe uh, as his own thing he has taken ownership of this now it is something that Will, you know? we have experience in London with him on infrastructure projects. He built the most expensive cable car which is used by no Londoners. There's only four in this whole city that have a season pass for it. <laughs> uh, the, the Boris Bridge, uh, the Garden Bridge £50, billion, 50 million pounds. it was never built. All we got was CGI's. The Boris buses cost three times as much. Their production has been abandoned and the company folded. He doesn't have a good record with infrastructure projects because he's not a details man. So this thing is going to be a huge under
1: and now it looks like it's all being handed over to China anyway, Elizabeth. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should have been talking about all along rather than Huawei. Actually, uh, this this um, intervention by the Chinese actually seems to be have some beneficial... Uh, it could have beneficial effects for the UK, whereas Huawei is really extremely um, uh, controversial. But so the China... A railway construction company has, has uh, offered to, to do this at lower cost and in five years which is really quite something when you look at the timeline that that the government had in mind, it would shave a number of years off this whole project and, and if it's cheaper too then actually it sounds like a, a very palatable proposition but the question is, do we want to invite even more Chinese participation into the infrastructure of, of this country? And if I may add there's a, a joke going around in Germany at the moment which is that the Chinese have been off, asked if they can build the airport in Berlin, which as you know, has, <laughs> is years overdue. And they said, no, it doesn't make sense to just come for an overnight stay. So.
2: <laughs> I mean, on that, I'd say t- two things. The first is, I, do, I really don't believe these claims that China can do it in five years for a lot less because you know they have this huge belts and roadways initiative. They are going into countries, building these infrastructure links. If you go to places like Africa, they build all the roads. But their model is to import their workforces here and to build it. Now, you can not do that in the UK our employment laws will not allow it the regulations things like minimum wage you can't just come here with you know thousands of workers and build a railway uh, and also you know compulsory purchase in China is essentially just a lot of the time the state taking back property and taking land and things compulsory purchase in the UK means you have to pay people the market rate and then some uh, and so the idea that you could do this quicker and, and less costly it is ridiculous you know there has been some ridiculous things already in this program like an and survey map being misread, where someone thought that the train was going through a field, it was then a historic golf course, so they had to pay millions of pounds more. Uh, and that's just an example of the kind of issues that are making it so costly. So I don't buy this from China. The second thing is, as well, obviously the Prime Minister allowing Huawei in, maybe there's been some kind of discussions about him trying to court China to come and build this. That's only going to alienate him from Prime, uh, from President Trump even more. We know that the Prime Minister was meant to be going, we think, to Washington DC next month for a big meeting with President Trump, but they had a bad call about two weeks ago on Huawei uh, because the President is very opposed to the company. Now, the US says that there are security implications, but it is just maybe a pawn in their trade war with China. And, you know, for Prime Minister Boris Johnson and President Trump, they need to get a new US trade deal done actually before the EU one. That needs to be done by September because Boris Johnson could, you know, needs to factor in that if there is this, you know, if Donald Trump goes, which if there is suddenly an economic crisis because of coronavirus, you know, taking down China's economy significantly, that will have impercussions around the world. You know, Trump's Trump card is that the economy is fine. So, if that starts to slow down the economy, Johnson needs that deal done because Democratic president is going to have very different ideas. It's going to be lower priority, and Trump wants that deal to go to the electorate and say, "Look, I'm the deal maker. Just done this one with the UK." So having more Chinese investment in the UK could be another red flag for the US because China wants to invest money here. The US, you know, they want market access to the UK, but there's not as much investment promise. So it is a very tricky situation for mm. the Prime Minister.
0: Now, if the chain does get Built uh, and we're still not a hundred percent sure that it will. I wonder what sort of thing we're seeing. So uh, last weekend in our in our uh, weekend edition email, uh, our editor in chief Tyler Brule was talking about how lovely it is to be on a on a European train with your crisp linen tablecloth, your basket of croissant, and all the rest of it. And he was saying how you know this is uh, uh, a lot of people. Uh, it's state run rail op- European rail operators. It's very rare. Dining cars have all but disappeared and all this kind of thing is gone. Uh, Does it make a difference to your travel, Elizabeth? Is that something that, I mean, I know that you jet around or you you train around the
1: continent. Uh, Do you need need those settings? Do I need a a, a white tablecloth and croissants? Uh, Actually, I'm quite happy if the the train is just clean and comfortable and, and I can bring my own food. I would happily bring my own food. Of course, there's no denying that it creates a certain ambience if there's there's a dining car. And actually, uh, it is uh, sort of a sign of the times that we've gone through the stage where... um, traveling by train was, was quite glamorous and and, and, uh, and almost upscale then it became very much sort of class, and, and now maybe we're uh, turning a corner and it's going uh, it's going in the other direction again and and actually I mean people want to travel by train uh, because we all want I think most of us want to make a difference for the environment and, and reduce our carbon footprint well, Absolutely I'm at the moment doing this this regular
0: commute to Zurich and I really wish I could do it by train It just, but it would just take it doesn't make any sense I've got to you know, leave after the show and and be there, you know, as soon as possible. Uh, And and that's got to be a a plane, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. And I'd say, you know, here in the UK, they have just reinvested in the sleeper train to Scotland. There are new trains. uh, They're promising a bit of an experience. So better food, better sleeping conditions. So there is that. But when it comes to commuting trains, I mean, I crisscross this country on train. I just want a seat. That's very hard to get at the UK. I want it to go on time. And also, I mean, I find this increasingly with planes as well as trains. The cleanliness is just not nice at all. These Mm. trains aren't, you know, someone walks down the aisle with a bin bag at some point uh, and expects everyone to self-clear, and then it takes off. So oftentimes, if the person hasn't handed in their rubbish, it's still there when you're boarding. They're not wiping down the surfaces. It is a bit grubby. And, you know, for commuters as well, just Wi-Fi that works... You know, the phone signal in the UK, particularly, is really bad on trains, but train Wi Fi is abysmal. Um, and, you know, used to wind me up when Virgin had the franchise and the West Coast in the UK they've just lost it you know you would get these like emails from uh, Richard Branson or texts when you boarded the train or whatever saying like pitch me your business ideas I just sent back the same thing every time give me Wi-Fi that works on a train so I can get on with my work that's my <laughs> business idea because you know it, when HS2 comes in it will change the way that commuting you know the, the distances drop significantly between Manchester and Birmingham between Birmingham and London to Birmingham might become more of a commuter city to other cities and on those journeys having just an hour or so where you can you know sort the morning emails or do whatever it would really boost productivity in this country.
0: Yeah it's something desperately needed isn't it. Let's turn to the newspapers now and have a look at uh, what's caught your eye there. So uh, Elizabeth I know that you've just returned from the Munich Security Conference and of course that's reported
1: on in in a few of the papers. Uh, Tell me what struck you about it most? Well, I'm very happy to have returned last night because if, if I were to have returned today, I think uh, uh, I would not be returning since uh, we have a new storm coming in. But oh, don't uh, say
0: that. I've got to get on a plane in a moment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, you, I'm sure you'll be fine. So the Munich Security Conference is for the, the world of international security, but what Davos is for the world of global business. And so um, I was there... Just yes, less skiing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and more spies. <laughs> uh, and I was there yesterday. And, and so the 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 good thing about the munich security conference is that it brings together people from all sides uh, of global uh, geopolitics including uh, iran russia and the us and of course europe and and even though there, there won't be any breakthroughs this year and and donald trump won't attend and in fact nobody from the uk no Nobody from the UK government will attend. Uh, It's good to have these uh, people get together and at least have conversations and and nothing big will happen in in the speeches. And and, uh, it has to be said, though, that the president of Germany gave a very good speech yesterday. And if I can highlight, Mitt Romney was on a panel yesterday and was incredibly persuasive on the matter of the issue of global trade. And when the moderator introduced him, he... uh, described his, his professional uh, achievements. And then he said, uh, and Mitt Romney is also the most courageous member of the US Senate, and there was applause, and I think that was a sign of the times. Yeah, absolutely, how interesting. Uh, sign of the
0: times to hear that we've uh, had uh, in this cabinet reshuffle, Vinnie, uh, uh, at least one very high profile resignation, uh, somebody trying like Romney to do the right thing.
2: Yeah, I was covering this uh, in the week, and what we were expecting was, you know, a couple, after that barnstorming election victory, Dominic Cummings, who is the Prime Minister's Chief Advisor, who's becoming quite the character in our newspapers here, you know, there was talk about abolishing and emerging some departments, cutting the Cabinet down so that, you know, it's now... 30s or so people who attend cutting it down to the teens Um, and then it was scaled back because there were issues that you'd basically be making all the women redundant or you know it would be a very white stale cabinet that was coming in and Dominic Cummings seemed to lose a whole bunch of battles including HS2 and so we were expecting a kind of calmer reshuffle no big department abolishments apart from the Brexit department which was which was going anyway but On the morning, we thought it was all going swimmingly, and then huge news that the Chancellor, who is the second most powerful person in British government, they live at number 11 Downing Street, um, he had resigned. Sajid Javid had been taken into uh, the Prime Minister's study, and then they got into an argument that lasted about an hour, uh, because Boris Johnson is essentially going for a huge land grab on the Treasury. He wanted to get uh, Sajid Javid's advisors all sacked, uh, and he wanted to implement a team who would be cross Downing Street and... The Treasury. Now, this is something that actually David Cameron and George Osborne slightly did have a model of this because they worked fully in lockstep, but Tony Blair and Gordon Brown didn't. And there's always a tension between Downing Street and the Treasury. Downing Street wants to spend, it wants infrastructure, it wants projects it can point at, it wants policies which cost money. The Treasury needs to balance the books. And so, what Sajid Javid did is say no self-respecting minister would do this uh, in interviews. They wouldn't allow it. And all spads have come out and said, you know, this is quite, you know, it's so unprecedented to try and force the selection of spads because Sajid Javid was special worried. Special advisors. Yeah, special it. advisors, yeah. sorry, because Sajid Javid <coughs> has already earned this nickname apparently from uh, Dominic Cummings and co, which was Chino, which is a uh, chancellor in name only because they'd blocked him appointing his chief of staff that he wanted. They'd also got rid of two of his already existing advisors, one who's bringing an employment claim Against Dominic Cummings for the way that she was sacked because she he demanded her phones and then had her marched out by armed police. Now all Downing Street police are armed, but they still are quite you know imposing figures. Um, and so this is a huge resignation, you know, from Sajid Javid, someone who was ran to be you know to be leader, to be almost to be prime minister, uh, hugely popular in the party, um, and he had a really interesting warning shot, a bit like Mitt Romney, kind of saying you know warning something. In his letter, he said, "You know, uh, it, it's important, Prime Minister, to have advisers who you can trust mm. and who are trusted." Uh, something that Dominic Cummings, you know, is is not tr- not well trusted by other special advisers. And, and the second part was, you know, the, the Treasury is very separate to other departments. It's meant to be non-political, but it also is viewed around the world by other countries into how it's operating in terms of confidence in the British economy, the British state, how things are working here, and to politicize it leads you down quite a dangerous path.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go from. From hero politicians to to scumbag politicians. No, we'll get to Trump in a moment. But first, uh, the mayor of Paris.
1: Yes, uh, the, so the current mayor of Paris is a, is a woman called Anne Hidalgo, who is uh, very popular and is, is uh, uh, leading the race to to win uh, the next election. But uh, the candidate for President Macron's party, uh, a man named Benjamin Griveau, uh has just pulled out and. Uh, he has pulled out because somebody put on the internet uh, sexual content that that this gentleman had sent to a woman with whom he was apparently having an affair, and he resigned, saying he doesn't want to to put his family through this. And so he wasn't going to win anyway. But this incident, I think, points to to a, a very ugly reality, which is that elected politicians or those running for office. Um, are subjected to, to all kinds of vitriol, uh, whether whether based on reality or not, and as a result, many sensible people won't run for office, mm. office because they won't, they don't want to put their families through that, and 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 then we get essentially candidates who don't care. So Trump has all kinds of uh, of. Um, Things of which to be ashamed, but he doesn't care, and and other politicians uh, too. But the people who uh, are, are, let's say, more reasonable, they they just don't see this as, as something that they can put up with. And so I think we risk getting a political class of of scumbags on one hand, and and just totally um, um, uninteresting. Non-innovative people, on the other hand, and that's actually part of the problem that the the, uh, German state of Thuringia has, that actually they don't have a lot of good people in office in in, uh, none of the parties, uh, even though the, the left party, which has... Uh, which led the previous coalition actually was quite good. But the other part is who who wants to stand for office when this is a surprise you have but to be
2: I'd come in, i'd I'd push back on that one, I've got to say, because I'm so, you know, this guy was sending explicit videos through non-encrypted messaging services. Now, any intelligence agency in the world can probably access what he was sending, and that makes you compromised. You can be blackmailed. So is he the kind of person who should be going for a, a powerful position, who should be trying to rise up? You know, I think that is a question you've got to ask is, you know, these people, you know, in Paris, in France, okay, French politicians, you know, there is a much too, much higher degree of deference to their personal lives. Affairs carry on for years. The French kind of ignore them. They're not interested. But this is something else. This is, you know, this isn't, you know, <laughs> popping around to your mistress on the back of a scooter like uh, Mr. Hollande. This is, you know, sending material out through the Internet, open source systems uh, where that material can be gathered. It can be used against you by a foreign power. You could be blackmailed. There is a question with doing this, I think.
1: Well, if a foreign country does it, it's one thing. But for the public to appoint itself the, the adjudicator of what's allowed and what should be in the public domain, I think, is extremely dangerous. And, and the problem is that there is nobody who can tell the public not to do it. And you can say, OK, so the guy shouldn't have an affair. Then he wouldn't have this problem. But still, uh, it is a problem that the public puts itself in charge of... of uh, uh, essentially determining the the reputation of of their politicians. They should hold them to account, but this is something that actually is, I I think, uh, somebody's uh, absolute personal life. But it does show a lack of
2: proper, you know, sensibility. The same thing happened with, you know, Anthony Weiner New- when he was running for mayor of New York. And that was timed so b- badly because it, it was used to then take down in some ways Hillary Clinton and her main advisor, Huma. So, you know, it does show a lack of proper judgment in some ways.
0: I'm going to use my judgment here and say we've got to stop this now. We'll continue perhaps off air and no time to talk about Trump and his obsession with badgers. Uh, that's- <laughs> for today. Uh, thanks very much to Vincent Raccavini uh, and to Elizabeth Braw and our supervising producer, Ben Ryland, researcher Nick Toomey and our studio manager, Nora Hall. I'm Georgina Godwin. I'm off to catch a plane. Do join me in Zurich tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Zurich time. Uh, we hope to see you there. Until then, have a lovely Saturday.